Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Well, Mike, thank you for not preaching on little as much when God is in it, because listening to the song, he's not wrong. There's so much there to it. The first time I ever heard that, that hymn was while in college at a small church called Haven Tabernacle Baptist Church. If you were to divide this uh, sanctuary in half, that was the size of their church. Like, it was, hopefully, I'm, you know, they don't hear this, but it was one hurricane away from being removed. You know, it was a, a small little building, and thank the Lord that Hurricane Ivan didn't remove it, right? But the reason I bring it up is because little certainly is much when God is in it. The little church, uh, I like to call it the little church that could, because they had a lot of missionaries that they supported. Uh, they were just a stalwart for faithfulness. You know, We got to visit them uh, back in March of this year, and I worked with them for a year back in, I think, 2007, and I hadn't seen them since. And it was really cool. I called them, and the pastor was still the pastor. Everybody was there. I got to see some people that I hadn't seen in, what, 14 years, 16 years, you know? And it was just pretty awesome to see that little as much when God is in it. They were being faithful. You know, the crown that you can win is one of the crowns of faithfulness, right? And that's what they were, you know, working towards without even knowing it. So it was pretty, pretty neat. And then the other thing was, I thought it was funny. Mike leaned over and said, scripture reading? And I'm thinking, is this a trick question? Because yes, there will be scripture reading. But um, I said, no. And it was, I've taken some tests before and it's it's a personality test, right? You don't want to fail those because it means you don't have any personality. But yeah, one of the questions was, I liked fire, true or false? I'm like, well, I'm not a, a pyromaniac, but I do like fire to stay warm. So, you know, just kind of like, yeah, there will be scripture, but it's uh, not doing scripture reading. So anyway, take your Bibles and let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, the title of my message today is... You know, in light of the, uh, the song, Little is Much When God is in It, a lot of times we feel like, you know, we're insignificant people. And in the grand scheme of things, we are insignificant, right? You could be a, a worker in a business for 40 years, and do you get a plaque? Do you get a parking space? You're happy to get a paycheck, but you don't get any of those other things, right? A hundred years from now, is anybody going to remember you? I mean... Christine's shaking her head. Of course they will. Yes, Christine, you will. Yes, never forget Christine, right? So, but in reality, you know, our life really is a vapor, and, you know, it's not what we do for the local economy that lasts. It's not what we do for our civic organizations that last. It's what we do for Christ that will last. That's really, really important. And even though we can seem like we're just a small piece in the puzzle or a pawn, I want to talk today about a pawn. A pawn can have a very powerful impact, something much greater than the sum of the available parts, right? You think about the game of chess. The game of chess, you have a number of pieces. And, whoa, we were until I just blew it. Sorry, Harry. All right, so in the game of chess, you have a number of pieces, right? You have 16, maybe I did blow it. <laughs> David, you came at the wrong time. In the game of chess, there's 16 pieces per side. You have your king, you have a queen, two bishops, two knights, two rooks, and eight pawns. 
So out of those, which is the most common piece? Pawn, right? It makes up half of the game. There's eight pawns. So if you were to look at it, if you were, do we have any chess players in the room? Okay, so I guess I gotta keep my analogies spot on, right? Cool, don't have to keep track. But um, if you look at it, the pawn would seem invaluable as compared to some of the higher members, the bishop or the king or the, you know, the queen. But pawns are limited. They don't have any cool moves. Like a bishop can go diagonal, right? Rook can go horizontal and vertical like that, you know, side to side. Uh, am I right so far? Good, all right. <laughs> uh, queen, a queen can pretty much do whatever she wants. Now, I'm not gonna say anything else about that because you know, this is being recorded, but a king, what does a king do? A king sits back and he, he relaxes and he lets everybody in front of him protect him. Kind of a protect the quarterback, right? But what does a pawn do? A pawn just goes forward one step at a time and really hopes for the best, right? Are you sure about this? Yeah, keep going, you'll be fine. I don't know, there's a pretty mean looking bishop over there, the knight's gonna get me and the rook, the rook, rook wiped out half my line, right? So we're gonna talk about, look at somebody in the Old Testament and look at him through the guise, through the lens of being a pawn, right? Somebody who in the grand scheme of things is insignificant, but because of his faithfulness and because of his, his well, undying faithfulness, the Lord used him in a great way and he got to see some really awesome things happen. So let's pray and we'll pick up in uh, 1 Kings 17. Father, we thank you for this time. We uh, pray that you would give us wisdom in all things we do. We pray you would guide our steps so that we as pawns can be usable for you. Uh, we may think that our our power and our ability is, is limited, and that may very well be. But as we just sang, little is much when God is in it. And Father, we thank you for, uh, for using pawns to accomplish some really awesome things. And I pray that you'll help us to see that uh, from your word today, so that we too can be encouraged to be the best pawn we can be. Father, if there is one here that hasn't been saved, that hasn't uh, trusted you as their personal Lord and Savior by asking that you forgive their sins, and trusting in you alone for salvation. I pray that you would use your word today to convict, to show them their need to be saved so that they too could become a pawn for you. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in 1 Kings uh, 17, it's the story of uh, Elijah. And you'll see Elijah is going to have a lot of interactions with who? What's the, what's the godly king's name? Ahab, good, it's a trick question, all right? He's not a godly king, right? So we'll take a look in, starting in uh, chapter 17, verse one. So I wanna see, I see six properties of purposed pawns. You know, you look at a little pawn and you flip it over and it says, made in China, you know, or whatever. But, and you think, oh, this is disposable. You know, what happens if you have kids or you've been around kids, you leave a chessboard out and pretty soon you don't have 16 pieces or really 32 pieces you may be down to 25. And you hope for sake of playing the game that you lose some pawns because those can be easily replaced with a bottle cap or a quarter, maybe a penny, right? But if you lose the king, then the game's over. Well, here, I want you to see that pawns are valuable. Every pawn is very valuable as long as the pawn is being used in the way that God wants it to be used. So the title for today, The Potential of a Pawn, Six Properties of a Purposed Pawn. Uh, property number one, a pawn proclaims. We look at uh, chapter 17, verse one of First uh, Kings. And Elisha the Tishbite, Elijah rather, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years. 
So here we see the pawn going up to the king and sharing a very positive, encouraging message, right? Not so much. Because if you tell a king that it's going to be drought, the king had the power to remove from his presence those who shared with him bad news. And he could remove them to the point where they would never be seen again or heard from, for that matter. I don't like the messenger, so what do we say? Kill the messenger, right? So here, the same thing applies. Um, but according to my word, verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence. And he was probably waiting for those words. Okay, Lord, I said the message. I did what I was supposed to do. Now, can I get out of here? Can I leave? Because I'm getting really, really nervous. And he said, the Lord comes unto him and says, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Right? So a pawn is used to do its job. Did Elijah do his job? Absolutely. Was the job an easy job? No. The pawn might have been shaking in his little boots, like, I'm all by myself here. He can kill me if he wants. And it was a tough, challenging thing, but he did it. Now you may think, but it's the king of Israel. Israel is God's chosen people, so it shouldn't be a, a hard deal, right? Well, it absolutely was, because the king of Israel was not a godly person in this case. He was very, very wicked. He was, you know, not a bad guy. He was, it was terrible. So the Bible speaks of Ahab's character. If you look uh, just back a little bit, 1 Kings 16.30, it wasn't that he was just a bad king. It wasn't that he was a misunderstood king. It wasn't that he was a king who had a rough time or was going through a rough patch. His character was evil and wickedness. We see 1 Kings 16.30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it would be bad enough if I stopped right there. But look at the next, look at the next words. Did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So this is a really bad game of topper. You know, anything you can do, I can do better. If Joanne says, I like cats, and I would say, well, I, I guess cats are okay. But then somebody comes in and says, I love cats. In fact, I, I named all my children after cats. That would be a topper. That would be somebody who's, you know, going higher and higher. And Ahab, in a not as funny way as what I just mentioned, Ahab did that. He saw everybody behind him. He saw how evil they were. He saw how wicked they were. He saw how they served false gods. And he goes, I can beat that. I can do worse than that. That's not the kind of civic achievement you want to be known for, right? But Ahab here, he went above and beyond to do evil in the sight of the Lord, as it says, above all that were before him. Uh, verse 31, And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to, for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians. So he's thinking, you know, I'm not bad enough yet. What can I do to make it worse, right? We remember somebody similar in the Bible, and his name is Samson. Samson had a very specific purpose for his life. Did Samson honor that vow that he had? No. And what did he do? He went to find ways to even make it worse. He wasn't supposed to touch dead things, so what does he do? Reaches in the, uh, the carcass and grabs honey. He was supposed to you know, stay pure and undefiled, so what does he do? Well, you read the story, you find out the rest. He goes and finds women that are not godly women and you know, marries them just because he knows it's the wrong thing to do. It's not like I was talking about a couple weeks ago where somebody falls into sin. This is out there with a, a sin meter as if you were looking for gold or money out in, or coins out in the field. And when you find it, you get excited because you found another way to sin. Here, Ahab does this. He goes and marries 
possibly the most wicked woman in the Old Testament. We have a lot of, you know, ladies' names. You know, Margaret's a good name, Pat's a good name, Christine's a great name, there you go, all right? We have a lot of good names. You know one name I don't see very often or read in church roles? Jezebel, you know? Even the, the least student of the Bible, uh, they're probably just, no, I don't think we're gonna go with that one. Let's call her Jenny instead, okay? Or Heidi, perhaps. But, you know, nobody names their daughter Jezebel because even for those that don't know anything about the Bible, you know, thousands of years later, the name still rings as evil and wicked, and nobody wants that. So if you ever meet a girl and her name is Belle, you might be tempted to ask her, is that your full name? You know, hopefully it really is. Hopefully it's not Jezebel. Um, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and he went and served Baal. So what does he do? He leaves behind the godly heritage that he knows he should have. He goes and finds about the wickedest, most wicked woman he can find, and then he goes and serves Baal, right? And he worshiped him. It wasn't an accidental walking in a meeting and, ooh, this is not a good meeting, I'm out of here. He goes and serves and, and does that. And the worst part of all this is he's the king. He is the one that everybody should be looking up to. The Israelites had years before said, you know, we don't, we don't want a theocracy anymore. We don't want to serve God directly. We would have a king. And they were warned what would happen if they had a king. And they listened to it with about the same level of enthusiasm that we go through an end user license agreement. And we're like, yeah, 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 accept, right? They didn't care what they were being told. They wanted what they wanted. They didn't care about the results. And here is the culmination of that desire. This, they got what they wanted. And they got somebody who was wicked, who wasn't serving God, and he was their king. He was the guy that Ahab had to go up to and say, king, it's not going to rain for three years, three and a half years. So uh, when he, in verse 32, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Uh, it's a big deal what, what Elijah is up against. But a purpose pawn, uh, Elijah proclaimed. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. And if he got wiped out before he took one step forward, that was okay with him because he knew, hey, this is my purpose in life. This is what I need to do. Elijah proclaimed and then departed as God directed to a brook, which soon dried up. No one ever said being a pawn was easy, right? No one ever said that. But, you know, like in the army, you want something done, it's boots on the ground. You have a lot of support, but the boots on the ground still have to walk forward and do their job. Number two, uh, property number two, a pawn is personable. Have you ever met somebody who's very smart but not personable? Yeah. Are they fun to be around? No. They, they might be a good worker. They might be very knowledgeable in their field, but they're not the kind of person you'd want to have a meal with because you would sit there, they would sit there. Half an hour later, you'd still be sitting there and, and there's no interaction, right? So a pawn needs to be personable. If we're to be a good testimony and a good witness, we need to be able to, to interact with people. And I know that's difficult or annoying sometimes, you know, but it's something that we have to do, that we have to work on. How can we, you know, share the love of Christ to others if we're not friendly, right? Sometimes we need to look in the mirror and practice smiling. I've heard it takes more muscles to frown than to smile. So if somebody says, I've been working out, don't say, oh, I'm working out in your frown, right? Try practicing smiling. Sometimes we just, we get in the situation of, you know, life is heavy and it keeps us down. It kind of steals our joy. So we need to think about what joy is based on. 
You know, we need to think about what it is that brings us satisfaction and joy and focus on that as a way to circumvent always walking around with, you know, miserable face. Hey, come to church with me. It's great. You know, nobody wants to do that. They might see what church you go to and go to the other one down the street. Well, I already know what happens there. Let me at least try this one. They don't look miserable yet. So it's something to think about. A pawn needs to be personal. As a pawn, you are on the front lines. You will see things and they will affect you. What you do with what you see defines your character. And for Elijah, this is no different. The pawns are the ones that, if you want to take the army illustration, they're the ones, the grunts, they're the ones out in the tents, right? Uh, I work with somebody who's retired Air Force, and he was telling somebody else who's current, you know, currently in the army, he goes, yeah, get out of the army. He goes, come to the Air Force. Things are nice and cushy over here, you know? So there was a little bit of a, a push and pull, but, you know, I was talking to the guy who is in the army, and I said, how was your camping this weekend? And I was teasing him because it wasn't camping, it was a... Uh, an exercise and he was sleeping on the ground and you know it's raining all weekend and it was really a blast you know he didn't have the the resort campground that we think of this is literally sleeping out in the woods and you're lucky to get any sleep so a pawn is somebody who has to keep going no matter what and be personable Uh, chapter 17 verse 8 and the word of the lord came unto him saying in verse 9 arise Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So keep in mind what's happening here. The drought is on, and the brook is you know drying up, dried up, and it's by his word. He was told by God to do this. He was told by God, you know, I'll take care of you. But it was up to him to keep walking one step at a time. And it's one thing to, you know, walk in a direction when you're pretty confident of where the direction leads. But this direction was leading to a widow woman. And it's a time of drought. It's a time of probably famine because of the drought. Who's going to be the one best prepared to resist a, a drought? Is it a widow woman? but that's where God wants him to go. So it, the Bible doesn't record him thinking about it, saying, are you sure? Can I go over there instead? No, he does. He obeys. He's, he's going in the direction that he needs to go. He's personable. And what happens in verse 15? He, he, well, he tells her, he says, fetch me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So verse 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Um, and the barrel of meat, uh, meal washed not, wasted not, rather, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So the widow woman was able to sustain herself and her son because she, as a pawn, did what was right. She obeyed. Elijah obeyed. You see a little trend here? Obey equals good. Obedience equals good results. And they'll see it, but they wouldn't have seen it from a distance. They had to see it up close, walking one step at a time to get there. Just when there seems to be a break for the pawn, tragedy strikes. Verse 17, it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. His sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Jump to verse 20, and he cried up to the Lord, Elijah, and said, O Lord my God, hast thou uh, also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Verse 22, 
and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the woman came into him again, and he revived. And skip to 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. So he was personable. He, he knew how to talk to people. He cared for them. He could have just said, well, hey, thanks for the meal. I'm out of here. But what did he do? He saw her need. He personally put himself in the way, and he, through the power of God, brought her son back to life. Do you think she was appreciative and thankful for his visit? Absolutely. At the end there, she says, by this I know that thou art a man of God. She knew it by his actions. And a personable pawn should be showing others by their actions whose pawn they are. Anybody can be a pawn. You can be a pawn of the world through a number of different ways. To be a pawn for the Lord takes effort. It takes discipline. I'll say it again because it's hard for me too. It takes discipline, right? Self-control, temperance, all those things. As a personable pawn, Elijah was not afraid to get involved. The widow's problem became his problem. He acted out of compassion, both saving the boy and establishing to the widow the God whom he served. So we see that a pawn, number three, is also passionate. Have you ever met somebody who was, was on edge or just kind of all over the board? I used to work with somebody, and I thought she was a little, little out there. And she goes, oh, no, I'm not crazy. I'm just passionate. And I'm like, great. I, th I think your definition of passionate is just a little different than my definition of passionate. Passionate usually is a good thing when it's directed the right way. So here, number three, property number three, a pawn, is passionate. Now, we've all been places where we've seen people who just hate their job. Have you ever had a waiter or waitress that you can tell they didn't want to be there? You know, and it wasn't because of the 13 people in your party or the 12 kids that you brought with you, right? They just really didn't want to be there. Um, they truly didn't want to be there. They had no passion for the job. But on the other hand, there are people who are passionate about their job. Maybe it's something that is, is trivial. Maybe something that many would consider to be base, right? But if you're passionate about it, if you love it, it shows. It shows by your actions, it shows by your attitude, and it shows by the willingness to do what you need to do. A pawn can either be stagnant or passionate. How many of you would want to go to a church where people just came in, did their thing, checked their box, and left? And, you know, there's no passion. There's no excitement about the gospel. That wouldn't be a very fun place to be. Maybe a place that didn't support missionaries, that didn't do all the things that they were supposed to do. That would probably have a pretty short shelf life. But we want to be passionate about Christ. We want to be passionate about the things that he did for us. In Sunday school, we talked about Philemon, and Paul was passionate about somebody, you know, Philemon, who was also passionate about others. And it made a difference in their lives and how they acted towards each other. So a pawn can either be stagnant or passionate, but the ones that we remember are the ones who made a difference, even in a no-win situation. Now, uh, I think I've used this example before, but do you, you've heard the name Audie Murphy before, right? Does that ring a bell? Maybe some of the more mature generation, yes. For the younger generation, there's Wikipedia, and definitely look it up, because Audie Murphy is a great example of such a pawn. You may remember him as a movie star, but before that, he was born into a large family of sharecroppers in Hunt County, Tennessee, uh, Texas, rather, Texas. His father abandoned them, and his mother died when he was a teenager. So what do you do? Well, he left school in fifth grade to pick cotton. Hey, get the job done, right? and find other work to help support his family. A few years later, at the age of 19, 
He received the Medal of Honor for valor that he demonstrated for single-handedly holding off an entire company of German troops. How did he do it? He got on a 50 caliber machine gun that was on top of a tank that was on fire. I think they might have been more afraid of him for doing that than they were afraid of him on the gun doing what he was doing, right? He used the machine gun uh, of the burning tank to repel the enemy. Some would call that crazy, but I say it's the fruit of determination caused by someone who is passionate for their cause. Audie Murphy's resolve was, I might go down, but I'm gonna make sure that we advance. I'm not gonna go down, but I'm gonna make sure that my team, my guys make it through. I'm gonna give them the best chance they have. He was a pawn who was dedicated, who was gonna do whatever he had to do. And if you're on the other side and you see that, you might be tempted to turn tail and go because he's crazy. I don't wanna deal with that, right? And not that I'm saying we should be crazy, but what I am saying is that we should be passionate about sharing the gospel, about living it so others can see in our lives. If the Lord blesses us, and not just financially, but you know, spiritually through answering prayers, be free to share that with your friends. You know, not in a, in a pushy way, but in a real way. Just let them see that the Lord is real in your life, that you are a, a real pawn. Uh, although Audie Murphy is remembered as one of the most decorated war heroes of World War II, Elijah causes him to pale in comparison. As a passionate pawn, he boldly and faithfully stands in the face of the one who would take his life. Uh, this is 1 Kings 18, 18, and answers Ahab. He says, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. Now for a little pawn to go stand before the king and say, king, it's not my fault that Israel is in the state it's in. It's your fault and your father's house. That takes a lot of guts for a little pawn, right? He already knew Ahab wanted him dead, but he went and answered him anyway. And he says, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Has Ahab, he has Ahab bring in the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the groves. He completes the contest, he calls down fire from heaven. And if you wanna read an excellent example of God's power being used by God's man, read the passage of um, Elijah on Mount Carmel. And then get yourself some caramel candies because you know, it's that close, you have to do it. But think about what he does. He declares God the true God and destroys the 450. He's up there all by himself. He has the presence of mind to say, cry aloud to your God, perhaps he is sleeping, perhaps he's in a journey. He mocks them. Why? Because he's a confident little pawn that the God he serves is the right one because he's seen what God has done so many times. He demonstrates the impact that a passionate pawn can have even if he's the only one who stands to dare, or who dares to stand and fight, right? Who stands to, who dares to stand and do the right thing. So number four, a, a pawn is protected. We are a whole lot more willing to do something when we know we have the support of others. If a missionary, you know, were to come in and got no support, no prayer support, no financial support, would they feel loved? Probably not, right? Um, we are so much more willing to do something when we know that we have the support of others, when we have somebody there to support us. Even a passionate or a personable and a proclaiming pawn gets discouraged. I don't need to you know, do a show of hands to see how many people have been discouraged. Everybody can be discouraged. Yeah, right? You got one in the back. There we go. I see that hand. But, you know, think about it. We all can get discouraged. If we look around, a pawn is on the front lines. I've already said that. A pawn sees the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? They're not up in the, the crystal palace looking down from the, their exalted position. They're on the front lines. They have to deal with it. And it gets to be a very heavy weight. 
And the same thing applies to Elijah. You know, following the great victory over the prophets of Baal, he realized his life was in danger. He was threatened and said, you know, you're going to be dead by tomorrow, basically. Uh, he was a wanted man. Verse 18, or verse 46 of chapter 18. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Skip to 19, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods, small g, do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Well, that just gives you the warm and fuzzies, doesn't it? You have a great, you know, victory that the Lord has uh, provided, and you think, this is wonderful. People are going to start following me. And then you get this message that if you are still alive tomorrow, well, you basically are going to be dead by tomorrow. That's just a little discouraging, isn't it? They didn't have, you know, airlines to get out of the way to fly out real quick back then. So what does he do? And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey unto the wilderness, into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. Discouragement among pawns can run very high, right? But what does he do? He isolates himself, which is about the worst thing you can do when you're discouraged. Because you have nobody to bring you up. You have nobody to encourage you, to lift you up. I don't remember the full passage, but I know a threefold cord is not easily broken, right? And the Bible uh, through Solomon talks about how discouraging it can be if somebody is by themselves and they fall. You know, if you have your buddy with you, they can pick you back up. Here, he leaves his servant behind and he goes and he requests that he might die. And he said, it, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. So about the worst thing a pawn can do when they're, be, when they're discouraged is go off by themselves. Now, Jesus went off by himself to pray, and that's a great thing to do, but don't isolate yourself from other people. There's a lot of other pawns out there just like you who have seen the same things just like you, and they need encouragement. They need somebody who you can speak to and talk to, and you might be the one to help them this time, where next time they can be the one to help you. So don't isolate yourself from the other pawns. The Lord knows uh, that even the strongest pawn is still a pawn, and pawns have physical needs. Over the next few verses, the, Lord's <clears throat> the Lord ministers to Elijah with food, water, encouragement, but also with a tremendous fact in verse 18. And, you know, food's beneficial, water's beneficial, encouragement's beneficial. But for Elijah, I think this is what brought him back, where he was told, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which, which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So you're not alone. You're not a one in eight little pawn. In fact, you have 6,000, well, you have 7,000 little pawn friends who are in the same boat as you. But see, they're together, and you're all by yourself. So what do you need to do? Spend some time with other pawns who are passionate, who are proclaiming, who are protected. Don't be the pawn that is overall isolated by yourself because things that you think in your head, though true, may not be the best thing to think about at the moment. Get with some other pawns who are of like-minded, you know, uh, are following God uh, via faith and be encouraged by other pawns. But you too can encourage those pawns. So property number five, a pawn prevails. Now this part I think is really, really cool. In the game of chess, and help me if I'm wrong here, the goal of every pawn is to reach the other side. Because if you reach the other side, what happens? 
Right. And am I correct that you can become whatever you want? Yeah. So a pawn can become a queen. Now, what I'm not saying here is Elijah could become a queen if he tried hard enough. Absolutely not. Okay. But the goal is to say, checkmate, a pawn, a little pawn can take down a king. That's pretty neat. Uh, in the game of chess, the goal of every pawn is to have victory over the enemy, to be the one that earns the right to stand before the king and declare checkmate, right? Nobody knows anything else about the little pawn except, hey, that's the guy that brought down the king. It's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, many pawns work together towards this goal for a team victory, but not every pawn is victorious. Some fall along the way. In 1 Kings uh, 21, 1 through, C, 1 through 3, we see another pawn named Naboth, who owns a vineyard, uh, one that happens to be next to Ahab's palace. Ahab really wanted it. King Ahab offers to buy it. Naboth says no, and you know we see what happens. Uh, spiritual leader Queen Jezebel, nope, nobody ever called her that, I'm sure. Queen Jezebel steps in, writes a letter, gets two men to lie about Naboth, accuse him of blasphemy, then have him stoned to death. Talk about getting what you want, right? Without any regard for anybody else. In, ver in uh, verse 16, King Ahab goes to see his new property, then guess who shows up? His thorn in the flesh, otherwise known as Elijah. First uh, Kings 21, 27 through, uh, sorry, 17 through 22, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, arise, get down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the, the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. So he might've thought, hey, I got away. I got away with this. I got the vineyard that I really wanted. You know, he wouldn't sell it because he shouldn't have sold it, but I got it anyway. And I love my beautiful, wicked wife, like that, right? And he goes to check out the vineyard and he's like, this is really cool. I hope nobody else knows what's happening. And then he hears a voice and turns around and you know, Elijah's maybe there shaking his head. He's like, no, you know, the pawn is back. The pawn is back to show him once again the error of his ways and basically say, king, what are you doing? This is the leader of God's chosen people. And this is the behavior that is being recorded of him. So uh, in verse number 19, and thou shalt speak to him, uh, Elijah speaking to Ahab, saying, thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him saying, thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Absolutely, he's standing right in front of you, sir. Um, and he answered, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity and will cut off uh, from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And verse 22, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. Uh, For the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. That's a really bad day for Ahab, right? Uh, bad enough if a regular person does it, even worse if it's the king. Now Ahab does mourn, he does you know, ask somewhat for forgiveness, God shows mercy on him and prevents Ahab from seeing his family's demise. If you wanna see what happens to Ahab's family, uh, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 10. But Elijah's prophet's, uh, prophetic words are fulfilled in 1 Kings 22 uh, verse 34. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Uh, wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, turn thine hand 
and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. In verse 37, so the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. In 38, here's the prophecy coming true, and one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Your judgment may be delayed a little bit, but you'll still face the judgment for the sin that you've done. And we see the same thing in, in Ahab's case here. And they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord, which he spake. On that day, Elijah the pond could officially declare checkmate. He, with God's help, obviously, took down the king. He declared checkmate against the king, the wicked king of Israel, uh, who had purposely gone out of his way to disobey Almighty God. Well, think about that. What happens next? What happens to the pond that completed his mission? He made it through the challenges one step at a time. Well, Audie Murphy was a pawn. He was given the Medal of Honor. Elijah here is going to have something pretty neat happen to him. We've already said that a pawn that reaches the other side can basically choose their duty, right? They can become a queen, but that's sort of where the analogy falls apart because Elijah didn't become a queen. And we see what happens next. He will be promoted. Second Kings chapter 9 uh, and that's the uh, property number six, upon is promoted. Second Kings 9, 6, Elijah said unto him, uh, said unto him, Elisha, tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two went on. Uh, jump to Second Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elijah said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Verse 11, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Talk about a promotion. By a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 13, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the banks of Jordan. And in verse 15, and when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So think about this. We've gone basically through the life of a pawn. Uh, what do we learn from this, from the six properties of a purposed pawn? Through proclaiming, through being personable, uh, through being protected, through being passionate, through prevailing, a pawn is finally promoted, right? He did his job, he served his course, he was faithful to the end. He didn't die like we would expect, he was carried away. The pawn is the only piece that can be promoted when he succeeds in the journey across the board. Successful pawns, being directed one step at a time, will be promoted. Or they can be destroyed violently too, but we'll call it promoted for this case, okay? Because that's the positive side. Uh, successful pawns also prepare others to receive the mantle and to be the example to the next generations of pawns. Elijah was promoted. Elisha was right there to take the mantle and be the next generation. Elijah's promotion was better than any ascension to royalty. Uh, he was taken to heaven, and that is the same destination that we press towards. So what is the mission of every little pawn? To go one step at a time in the direction that God gives them to make it to heaven and to be a positive impact to as many others as they can along the way. But what about you today? Let's face it, we're all pawns, right? We're all pawns. Some of us are on different game boards, but we're all 
pawns. We are privileged pawns in the fact that we may choose who to serve. We are not expendable, and the Lord cares for each of us, even though we are only pawns. Don't follow the example of King Ahab. Don't follow the example of Queen Jezebel. Follow the example of King Jesus. We're going to jump to the New Testament, and we're almost done. Matthew 26, verses 27 through 30. We see a great example of another pawn. Another pawn by the name of Jesus, who laid aside his Godhead and came to earth to live a sinless life, to ultimately die on the cross for our sins. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 talk about how he set aside his you know, Godhood. He, he came to live a life as one of us, yet without sin. But Matthew 26, 27 through 30, it's talking about the Last Supper. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, never really saw this before, but what hymn do you think they sang? Did they have the Old Testament hymn book that was newly updated for the New Testament time? No. Do we know what hymn they sang? Well, uh, a Passover meal... Well, let me ask you this. What hymn do you think it was? What hymn do you think the King of Kings sang as he was preparing as a pawn to declare checkmate against the prince of the power of the air, Satan? What hymn do you think he would sing as he was about to declare victory over sin and death? A Passover meal always ended with the singing of three psalms known as the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 116 through 118. I want to read Psalm 116 in closing and think of how the words of these psalms would have ministered to Jesus as he sang it, knowing that within the next 24 hours, he would be arrested, taken away, and ultimately die on the cross. So uh, Psalm number 116, and remember these words, the Lord knows and cares for each one of his pawns. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. And verse 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Verse 13, I will take the cup of, thy, of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15 as Jesus is singing this hymn the day before he's going to die. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So God cares. God cares when a pawn dies. Oh, Lord. Sorry. Oh, Lord, all... 
O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast Lord my eyes. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Mm. All pawns and the journey we are on contains many unknowns. One thing we do know, and we can place our faith in, is that, just as Elijah did, is that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And every one of us is as a pawn. We have the choice who are we going to serve? Where are we going to end up? Are we going to end up asking Christ to forgive our sins, living a life of faith, and dying maybe before we want to in that life of faith? Or are we going to do our own way and go to hell? You can never be a successful pawn if you're not a saved person. And you'll never be promoted if you're not a successful pawn. So if you want to be promoted, you've got to be a saved person. Guys, why not repent today, ask Christ to be your savior, and trust him? You may still have to go through some crazy stuff, just as Elijah did, but you'll know your destination. You'll know where you're going when you die. If he calls you up before you expect, you know where you're going. There's no doubt about that. There was no doubt in the life of Elijah where he was going or who he was serving. And that's what motivated him. That's what gave him the intestinal fortitude, we'll say, to go up on Mount Carmel against 850 prophets of Baal, let them do their thing, knowing full well his God is in control, to call down fire from heaven. And if he perished, he perished. It didn't matter, right? Hearing those words from Jesus, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, that's pretty awesome. We're not expendable. We never were expendable. We can choose to serve the one who loves us the most. Satan doesn't care about us. Satan wants to give us just enough to trick us to follow him. And then he's got us hooked. And then he knows that our, our future is with him, right? So don't go down that road. Follow Christ, get saved, stop living for yourself, but live for Christ today. If you haven't been saved, repent, get saved, ask Christ to forgive your sins, trust him as your personal savior. If you have been saved, look at all the other successful pawns out there and follow what they're doing. For the successful pawns out there, follow the example of Elijah and Jesus. Continue forward for the Lord one step at a time. Remember Elijah's words. How long halt ye between two opinions? If, a man, if the Lord be God, follow him. Be a good pawn and follow the Lord. Let's pray and then Brother Mike. Father, we uh, just thank you for today. Um, we thank you for the example of so many good pawns throughout the Bible. Hebrews 11 goes into the hall of faith and just shows pawns from all different walks of life um, doing what they're supposed to do. Some were successful, some were more successful. But Father, the, the fact of the matter is you care and you love and you know each one of your pawns. You tell us not to worry, you tell us that you know the hairs on our head, you know when a, a sparrow falls. And if you love a sparrow that much, we know that you love your pawns so much more. So Father, help us, we ask, to be faithful, help us to serve you, help us to go one step at a time with the destination, with the goal in mind of having the victory for us that you want us to have. And again, Father, I, I ask, I beg, if there is someone here that's never been saved, 
don't go down the road of, of the sinner. Hell is real. You'll spend eternity in hell wishing you had taken this opportunity to be saved. If there's a question about what that means to be saved, ask the Lord the best way you know how to forgive your sins, trusting only in the finished work of Christ that he's done on the cross. Repent of your sins and you'll be saved. And speak to myself, any of the other folks here would be happy to share with you from God's word how you can know today that you'll be saved. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.